0: Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Condello. So we are close. We are very, very close to Christmas, right? I mean, you can you can sense it. And hopefully, all of us are just continuing to faithfully participate in all the traditions that we get to experience every December. And all those wonderful things like going out and cutting down a tree and bringing it into your house and taking the lights on the inside of your house and putting them on the outside of your house. And then, you know, we bake cookies and then we eat more than our share of those cookies. And we have office parties and concerts for your kids or your grandkids. And and uh, then we watch all of these movies with a very low standard of excellence. Right? I'm not just talking about cats. I'm talking about the Hallmark Channel. Right? Raise your hand if you've watched a cheesy movie sometime this season. Yeah, I don't know why we settle for these, but we're like, oh, it was horrible, but it was so great. Merry Christmas. And then if you come here on Christmas Eve, we have glow sticks, and then we put presents and socks and hang them next to open flames. All of these wonderful things... That we do at Christmas, but there's, quite honestly, there's this tension that we hold in this season. And on the one side, we hold tradition. We hold these things that we do year in and year out, these things that we would say, it is not Christmas unless we get to do this, things that we always want to be the same. And then in the other hand, we hold chaos, the chaos that is the Christmas season, Because Christmas oftentimes feels more like a deadline than a celebration, doesn't it? We hold these traditions, these things that we want to be permanent, and then we hold this chaos, this uncertainty that happens every year at this time. I wanted to illustrate that this morning this way. This is called a balance board, and it's intended as an exercise for your quads and core. Now, maybe this morning it will be an exercise in humiliation, time will tell. (laughs) But we will see. But I think, in many ways, this is kind of how we experience the Christmas season. I know. I don't know if you can get a workman's comp claim for a sermon illustration, but we're going we're gonna to talk after the service here. But here's how we experience it, right? I mean, this can be how we feel like during the season. And I don't think it's just Christmas. I think it's all year round, because I think, in many ways, this is the default setting of the world that's always shaky. And never settled. And this is how we experience relationships and work and school and our family in our future. This idea that it's just constantly this back and forth, out of balance, uncertainty. And yet, Christmas comes with this triumphal proclamation of these significant shifts. And we've been talking about these shifts. Several weeks ago, we talked about the shift from battle to rest, from disgrace to prominence, the shift from distress to joy. And today we're going to talk about this shift from shaky to solid, this idea that we can find sure footing in a balanced board world. And I hope that we can land on this big idea here this morning, that the permanence of Jesus gives us the stability and ability to stand firm. You see, that's what we can celebrate at Christmas, is that Christ came, and when he came, he gave us this permanence, this ability to have sure footing, and we want to lean into that instead of leaning into this uncertainty, and that's the shift that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the shift from uncertainty to permanence. Now, permanence just means this, remaining unchanged indefinitely, solid, stable, secure, And for some, that just sounds amazing, doesn't it? And maybe if you're a millennial in the room, you cringe when I say the word permanence because you're like, change is good. If things don't change, I get bored. And this is the same generation that's obsessed with tattoos, so I'm not necessarily, I don't know what the correlation is there and and who am I to say? I mean, I I can't even put a bumper sticker on my car, so there's no way that I'm getting a tattoo, but we probably all have this love-hate relationship with permanence. I know I do. I know there's certain finite things that I wish were permanent. But most of all, what I really want is I really want things to be permanent. I really want things to remain the same, and yet I want them to change for the better all the time. I want things permanent, but I want them changing for my good most of the time. And this morning, I just want to remind us that there are permanent things that we can build a foundation on that are always changing for the better. There are permanent things we see in Christmas and in Christ are always changing and getting better and better and better. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. We've been in it for four weeks now. If you want to turn there, that would be great. If you want to grab a Bible from the the pew in front of you there, it's on page 572. And chapter 9, just as a little background, chapter 9 is a conclusion of sorts to what's been happening earlier in the book of Isaiah. And it's kind of bringing to conclusion this idea that Our reliance on our own wisdom, our own power, our own resources only lead us further into darkness. Our reliance on our wisdom and power and resources only lead us into further uncertainty. You see, this was not a great season for God's people. They were were floundering under the poor leadership of King Ahaz, And Isaiah the prophet had come to Ahaz with a message from God. And and Isaiah was saying this, God wants you to just trust in him. God wants you to put your faith in him. God wants you to lean on him so that he can take care of you and the nation. And Ahaz, surprisingly enough, says no. Ahaz leaves permanence, and he comes over here to uncertainty, and he goes, but I look around me, and I see these nations, and they look really strong, and they look really wise, and they have a lot of resources, so I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to put my trust in those things. And it's such a problem, as a matter of fact, that God says through Isaiah, he says to Ahaz, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Another translation says it this way, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God's saying, trust me, put your faith in me, because if you can't do that, then you cannot stand at all. Then you're always gonna be wobbly and unsure. And so Ahaz won't do it. And and in his place, a new king has to come. You see, Ahaz was a leader who was taking the people in the wrong direction. He was unsettled and unstable and short-sighted, and his policies were setting them up for failure. And so a new king would come, even though a child who would establish a permanent, everlasting kingdom. And this is what we see being prophesied here in Isaiah chapter 9. Chapter 8 ends with these amazing words like trouble, anguish, darkness, and despair. And chapter 9 begins, nevertheless... That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. Now let's pause there for just a minute because this is, this is the incarnation and incarnation literally just means the act of being made flesh. It means God with skin. And we're in a series called Incarnate, and it's about Jesus coming at Christmas. And usually the verse we think of about the word becoming flesh is John 1.14. The word became human. Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation. This is the beautiful message of Christmas. This is peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the message of Christmas is also confrontational. You see, the reason we need Christmas is too often we rely on our own wisdom. We rely on our own power. We rely on our own resources. We think that we can do it ourselves, but the reality is we need rescued. We need delivered. We do not have the ability within ourselves to deal with our own problems. And so the Word had to become flesh. Let me give you a hypothetical situation that I think paints this picture. Parents, you will understand this, or if you were ever a child, you should understand this. So hopefully that includes all of us. Let's say, parents, you are in the back of the house getting some work done. And your kids are in the front of the house undoing all the work that you just got done out there. And you're in the back and you hear them to start arguing. You hear them start saying stuff to each other and you know that something bad's about to happen. So the first thing that you do is you send your words. You say, stop it, please stop it. You say, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. My parents used to say, this is going to lead to bloodshed. <laughs> Three boys, right? Or you cannot tie your brother from the chandelier and hit him like a pinata. As a parent, you say all of these kind of crazy things. And then you say this to your children. You say, don't make me come out there. Now, parents, we know that this works 0% of the time. <laughs> so, our words have to become flesh. Our words need to become incarnate. And so we come from the back room to the front room because we know that the children will never figure this out on their own. We have to solve it. And that's our story. And that's the message of Christmas. You see, only the word himself could come and save us. God's truth is not merely just words spoken from a distant place. It's not merely ideas written down and passed to us. The truth of Christmas is the word incarnated. And because of that, we can find permanence. And because of that, we have hope. And because of that, there is reconciliation with the Father. For unto us a child is born to give us that permanence. And then we see who this child is. We see these four names that we're so familiar with at Christmas. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is who he is. And so I want to talk about that shift. I want to talk about the permanence of those four names and kind of compare and contrast with the uncertainty that we typically live in. And it's a—it's really a comparison in many ways of Ahaz and the king to come. It's a comparison of, of earthly things and godly things. It's a comparison of uncertainty and permanence. You see, here's the thing. We can live into the uncertainty of conventional wisdom, can't we? There's a great book out called The Death of Expertise. And in it, this author says that we live in a Google-fueled, Wikipedia-saturated, blog-based collapse of expertise. Don't we? He's saying there's always gonna be doctors and lawyers and engineers and architects, but here's what he says I think that's so telling. What has died is any acknowledgement of expertise as anything that should alter our thoughts or change the way we live. And here's the idea, that, that your expertise Expertise, your truth, that's yours. I'll find my own. I've got the internet as well. And I can search whatever I want to search and learn whatever I want to learn, and I'll just search the internet until I find the truth that speaks to me or until I find the truth that I want to hear and then I can just live into that truth. It's this idea of relativism, that knowledge, truth, morality exist only in relation to culture, and they aren't absolute. Conventional wisdom says, yeah, truth is what you want it to be when you want it to be that. How's that working out for us? You see, there's a whole lot of information, but not a whole lot of wisdom. And I think, honestly, as we're over here in this uncertainty, I think deep down what we're really asking, I think we're really asking, am I smart enough? And we can live into the uncertainty of that question. Or we can live into the permanence of a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. We probably all have experience with people offering counsel, right? The invited and the uninvited. People with good things to say and our families. That was a little jaded, sorry. But it seems like everybody has a solution to our problems. Even if they can't solve their own problems, they have a solution to our problems. And ever since the snake gave such poor counsel in the garden, we've been in need of a wonderful counselor. And Isaiah promises that Jesus will come with permanent, unchanging, wonderful counsel. And we see that when he came. We see that in Luke chapter 4. It says that everyone was amazed. They were awed by his wonderful and wise words. His truth is life-changing. His truth is unexpected. It is oftentimes contrary to conventional wisdom because Jesus came and he said things like, you will have strength in your weakness. You will find victory in surrender. In dying to ourselves, you will find true life. And so we come over here and we can balance and try and figure out and ask this question, am I smart enough? And quite honestly, not to burst your bubble, but no, none of us are. None of us are smart enough, but we have a wonderful counselor. And even more so, we have these. John 17 is a prayer that Christ prayed for us. And he's saying, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We have God's truth in his word. We have wonderful, permanent counsel in his word, but we also have God's spirit in us. He tells his disciples, the Father will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. We have God's spirit in us, speaking to us permanent, timeless wisdom. Over the past couple of weeks, I had the opportunity to sit with some students uh, to talk about missions, And several times in these conversations, I heard students say things like, well, I felt like God was telling me to do this, so I I had to do it. Or I felt like Holy Spirit was saying, go talk to that person. So I got up and I talked to that person. And I was just so blessed that the students of this church are listening to counsel from Holy Spirit. And we need to continue to tune our ears and not live in the uncertainty of conventional wisdom, but live in the permanence of our wonderful counselor. We can also live in the uncertainty of earthly power. Here we go again. Even though we know that earthly power is transitory, it's, it's transitional, it's temporary. This past week, I googled major world powers of the 1500s. And I found you know all the biggies that you remember, like the Incan Empire, and the Mongol Khanates, and the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, <laughs> all those real big ones. And you're like, well, they don't exist anymore. Of course they don't exist anymore. They' passed, and yet we still think, "Yeah, but I can do it. I have the power, I have authority, and I will make my life what it's supposed to look like." And we lean into earthly power, and it can, go, it can go well for a while. We can do OK for a while until we run into something more powerful than us. It only takes one sickness or one tragedy or one natural disaster for us to realize how powerless we really are. And I think, quite honestly, as we're over here in this uncertainty, the question that we're asking is, am I strong enough? Am I strong enough? Or we can live into the permanence of mighty God. You see, the title mighty God tells us that he's a warrior. It indicates heroic nature. It means that God is our hero. I'm not sure what your mental picture is of a hero because we live in a hero-saturated culture. I don't know if you picture Jesus with the other superheroes sitting around saying, well, you saved the world this way. Here's how I saved the world. I don't know if you picture Hulk Jesus. I don't know what your picture is. But Isaiah tells us that this child is going to be a great warrior, that the little boy playing with the wood carvings On the floor of his dad's carpenter shop is the same little child who created all the trees. That's who he is. That's the power that he has. He has the power to deliver us. Nobody can stand against him. No enemy will prevail against him. There's so many verses in scripture that tell us about the power of God. But this past week, I was really taken by Jeremiah 32. It says, "O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show unfailing love. And I I love that it says that he's all powerful and nothing's too hard. And yet it's linked with him showing unfailing love, which means his power will never fail. But it also means that his power will never be abused. His compassion will never be exhausted. That's who our God is. And so if you stand over here in this uncertainty and ask, am I strong enough? Again, the answer is no. None of us are. But we have a God who is mighty. We have a God who is all powerful. And this doesn't mean everything's gonna be easy. I think sometimes when we hear mighty God, we think, well, if God was really mighty, then he would fix all the problems of the world. If God was really mighty, I think what we really mean by that is he'd fix all the problems in my life. But just because God is mighty doesn't mean that, that everything in your life is going to be easy. Oftentimes the things that we struggle with in life are reminders that this world is not our home that we're living for something else. And I assure you, God has really big plans and God is absolutely mighty and he's absolutely in control. And there's nothing that's taking him off guard and he never is like, oh my goodness, what's going on? How am I gonna solve that problem? He's never sleeping on the job. He is a mighty God. There's nothing we will face today, tomorrow, or forever that is beyond his power. We can live into the permanence of a mighty God rather than the uncertainty of earthly power. I think the third thing that we can live into here in the uncertainty is I think we can live into the uncertainty of loneliness. We live in the most connected age in the history of the world, and yet most people feel like outsiders. Most people feel like they have no significant friendships. Most people feel absolutely alone. That's why the number one game in the world is not Fortnite, It's still solitaire. And this past week, actually, I was reading about zero interaction dining. There's restaurants popping up. This is a ramen place in New York City. You show up, you sit there, you've got your own little booth, you order from this tablet, you pay right there, and you don't even see the person serving the food. That little shade just raises up. Somebody's arms come right out and hands you your food, goes back down. You don't have to talk or see anybody. How many of you think that would be really enjoyable, right? a lot. A lot of people in the room are like, oh, sign me up. (laughs) And that's not an introvert or extrovert thing that we're talking about here. But there's an uncertainty with loneliness. And I think as we kind of go back and forth in this uncertainty, the question that we're really asking is this. Am I loved? Am I loved? We can live in the uncertainty of that question, where we can live into the permanence of our everlasting father. We have an everlasting father. And the 60s Time magazine printed this cover on the left, Is God Dead? And it was a huge uproar. Three years later, they printed, Is God Coming Back to Life? There was some question. And it was really about the times, and it was really about people saying God is an antiquated idea, and God doesn't exist anymore. Isaiah says he's... He's still around forever. He's the infinite infant. Literally, it means He's the source and author of all eternity. He's the everlasting Father. This is not a statement about the Trinity. Maybe in your mind you go, wait, God the Father, Christ the Son. Really, this just means that the character of Jesus is all that a good father is. And maybe your picture of a father is far from perfect. And maybe if my kids were in this room, they would say, amen. When my daughter was younger, I said, have a good day. And she said, not going to happen because you make me so angry. (laughs) I, I am not a perfect father. I don't claim to be. I don't think any of us are perfect fathers. So maybe all of that is just a little bit skewed. None of us had. You might have had a good father and not so good father, but we have an everlasting father who is everything a good father should be. And he provides everything a good father should, leadership and love, protection and wisdom and provision and a home and a place to be. You see, many kings claim to be a father to their people, but usually they sustain their legacy on the backs of their people. They sustain their legacies through servanthood and, and taxes. But this king does not rule at the expense of the people. And this fatherhood does not impose itself upon us. It sacrifices itself for us. And so maybe over here in this uncertainty, as you're going back and forth and you're asking this question, am I loved? I want to say to you this morning, absolutely, completely, Perfectly, you are loved. And maybe you've had that experience before. Maybe you haven't. I just want to release the love of God in this place this morning. He loves you with an everlasting love. Romans 8, verse 15 says, You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Abba just is this term of intimacy. It's an affectionate term used by beloved children. We have a father who's affectionate with us, who loves us with this everlasting love. We hear the permanent things like he's a counselor and those words might seem distant or he's mighty God and that might seem a little bit scary, but this is his everlasting father is what brings us close to him. It means for all eternity, nothing is going to change that relationship. We will always be his children. He will always be in love with you. He is never going to get bored with you, tired of you, sick of you. He's not shaking his head like this at you. His love for you is only growing and increasing because it is perfect. And we can live in to the permanence of this everlasting I think the fourth area that we live into uncertainty, one more time, I think we can live in the uncertainty, like I am right now, of anxiety. Because we live in the age of anxiety, and I think it's only magnified in this season. My daughter came into my room the other night, and she said, you know, sometimes life should be easy-peasy lemon squeezy, but lately I found it stress-depressed lemon zest. (laughs) And I was like, okay, and then she said, maybe just hard, hard lemon hard. And I think the question that we're asking in this anxiety is Is there hope? Is there hope? And we can live in the uncertainty of that question that there's no hope, or we can live into the permanence that we have a prince of peace. And this is the climactic title. These words were spoken to a people in deep darkness whose only certainty was their uncertainty. And this mighty warrior is coming in peace. He's victorious not by brutally smashing all of his foes, all who defy him, but by sacrificing himself. He's he's mighty and he's meek. He's severely kind. He's fiercely gentle and he brings peace. And I think we know peace as this idea of the absence of conflict or having harmonious relationships. And yes, in, a, in little ways, it's that. But the word peace here in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And shalom literally means to tie together into a whole. It, it means when all of the essential parts are brought together into wholeness. So when God brings his peace, what he's talking about is bringing wholeness to our lives. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of Christ, it's hope, it's fullness, it's us being who we were created to be. It was what was proclaimed at the birth here in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God's saying, peace on earth, I'm going to bring wholeness to the earth. Is there hope? Absolutely, because we have Christmas. God's ultimate plan for peace is not treaties or education or economic programs. It's Jesus. And in the past, he came on Christmas morning so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And in the present, he can be in us, in our lives, in our hearts, so to speak, so that we can have peace with him, with the Father. And in the future, he will come again and set up an eternal kingdom. His rule will never end. There will always be peace and wholeness. And we need to live into that permanence. You see, that's why Jesus came out from the back room to the front room because he knew we could never solve this problem. His children could never solve this problem on their own. We needed him to come. We desperately need permanence in these things so that we don't have to live into the uncertainty of these things, so we don't have to ask these big questions. Look what it says in verse seven. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. God is passionate about this. God does not react casually to the slavery of his people. He's not disinterested. He doesn't want us to drift aimlessly. He doesn't want us to live unsteadily. He wants us to live into the permanence of who he is. And that's why he came. And that's why we celebrate. Usually at the close of messages here at Salem Alliance, we kind of give tangible action steps that we can take. We call them handles, things that we can walk away with. And I was having a conversation with somebody this past week who was telling me this. He was saying, if you're 30 years or older, you're very happy with these very tangible steps. You're like, I'm too busy. Thank you for doing a little bit of the homework for me. I can plug in some of these things. He said, but when you're talking to people who are 30 years and younger, they're saying, don't tell me what to do. That sounds like homework. I'll work that out on my own. And I don't know if that's accurate or reflects where you are or how you process information. So this morning, I just want to leave you with two questions, two simple questions that we can process over the season. The first is this, have I built my life on permanent things? Just think about where it is that you live. Think about if you're on solid footing or you feel like you're always just waving back and forth. And if you're not exactly sure even what you've built your life upon, just look at your bank account and your calendar, and that might give you some indication. But quite honestly, it's a question I'm asking myself because I know I have work to do. Even as a professional Christian, I do not have all this stuff figured out. And I'm still plugging away. Have I built my life on permanent things? The second question I would ask is this. How do I incarnate permanence? How do I live it out? How do I put hands and feet to these permanent things? Whether it's in my counsel to other people, where does that counsel come from? Whether it's how I use my power to serve others. How do I build community? How do I bring wholeness to my family and my community? How do I incarnate these things? so that I can live into the permanence of Christ and not the uncertainty that I usually want to lean into. May it be so that we live into that permanence. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Isaiah 9 that just tells us who you are, that has this prophecy of hope for us that we can have now and for all of eternity. Thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, that you are mighty, that nothing is beyond you, that you are a loving and faithful, eternal father. and that you bring wholeness to our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see these truths, that you would just bless us with clear vision about the permanent things of you, and, God, that you would bless us with the courage to live these things out, all for your glory, all for your name. And Jesus, is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.